Hey everyone, my name is Sambal Siddiqui. And I'm Alana Mallon, and we are Cambridge's two new city councilors, and this is our weekly podcast, Women Are Here. So we both binged a Netflix series. Yes. And I've been traumatized by it. I love it. But you know I love shows about serial killers. <laughs> I know, and it, that's really hard for me. So this is a show, it's called The Assassination of... G- Gianni? Gianni Versace. Versace. I was like, you know, in the show, it's like Gianni, you know? Oh, right, because Donatella is like, (laughs) Gianni, Gianni. (laughs) She's so good. (laughs) She's so good. So you liked it. I loved it. I just finished it last night. I stayed up until like, I don't know, super late. Wait. To finish it. You know, that was me too. Oh, you did? Yeah. I watched the last episode last night. Oh, my God. And then I couldn't sleep. I was like, because they were like, they were like trying to find him and he's hiding in that house oh and he's God. eating the dog food. And I was like, this is so He gross. has a beard. So yeah, it's a really traumatic, uh, you know, series. And it's all, it's about the, how this guy, Andrew Cunanan, killed not only Versace, but killed four other men before that. Right. So for those of you who don't know, Gianni Versace is like a really famous fashion designer. And then he has this really f- famous for kind of doing nothing sister, Donatella, yeah. who is played by Penelope Cruz in the movie. And I just want to, I actually want, can she do a spinoff show where she just like walks around and smokes? <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. talks. Um, but yeah, so Andrew Cunanan, I, it's not really actually clear to me why he was so obsessed with Versace and why he ended up murdering him on his friend's steps. But it was a fascinating story about they they worked backwards. Yeah. So the first episode is him killing Gianni Versace, and then every episode was a previous period in his life, and it's all bananas. It's bananas, and it's graphic, and it's intense. It's and really graphic. Just FYI, if you guys are going to think about watching it and you don't like blood or people being murdered by hammers in their face. Oh, God, that was so brutal. Yeah. So, wow, we both finished last night. That's so funny. I, I, I would have texted you. I would have texted you. We were both up. Oh my gosh! Anyway, so well, we clearly we wanted to talk about the show, but uh, thank you, I thank you. Shout out to my friend Sushant. He's he listens. He's in Minneapolis, but he listens. Which, he w- good friend. Hashtag like, amazing friend. You've seen his text that I've shared. Yes. Like he wa- He loves. He listens every week. He always like says something like, "You guys didn't know this thing." <laughs> It's obviously this, and we're of like, of course, oh. Celine Dion didn't perform at the Super Bowl, <laughs> and it's the Rams. Anyway, Sushi's one of my best friends in college, and he gave me the password for Netflix because I'm one of those people who doesn't have a Netflix account and asks everyone to give me their password, <laughs> including Alana. I I said I would give it to you Saturday night, but actually I didn't know it, so I was like, text my husband. Yeah, I almost yeah. did. <laughs> but yeah, we were uh, speaking of Saturday yeah, night. Yeah, we were at a fundraiser. It was amazing. Um, so there was a mayor's fire fundraiser, fire fund fundraiser. Something, uh, yeah. <laughs> just a funny fire fund fundraiser. Yeah. So it was actually there was probably like a hundred people there, and it was put on um, in East Cambridge by a number of um, restaurants. So the food was so good. It was. I know there was a lot of pork, and you yeah. couldn't do it. But man, if you if if. If our listeners like ribs, go to the smokehouse in Kendall Square. I've never had ribs like that. And the cornbread. The cornbread was so good. Um, everything was delicious, though. Like Lone Star Taco Bar was there, Puritan and Company. Um, those Elmendorf cookies were there. So Did you good. see me by the bar? There was like a, 
Just they yeah. were, they just had boxes of them out everywhere. I was like, this is the, you were stuffing your I was face. Like, oh, I, You're like, like cookie cookies monster. in here. <laughs> so yeah, the participating restaurants and really a huge, huge shout out for these pe- folks for actually just donating everything. Right. So the space was actually um, rented by Divco West, and uh, the participating restaurants were Puritan and Company, Bisque, The Smoke Shop, Barbecue, Trina Starlight Lounge, Lone Star Taco Bar, State Park, and Mamala's Atwood's Tavern, which by the way had. A meatball slider that was so good, so good. Um, Portugalia, and then there was beverage sponsors, which were Lamplighter Brewing Company, Phantom Cider, and Beam Suntory. Uh, the event raised over eight thousand dollars, yeah, which was amazing. So between tickets and raffle tickets, we bought some raffle tickets, and I actually we won. You won, I we, know. We won um, a bunch of like Bantam cider hats, and then we won a night in the the ho- the Holiday Inn hotel. You did, yes, huh. and dinner at Loyal Nine. That's great. I know it was exciting. I was everyone was like fixed. <laughs> I know totally fixed. <laughs> but it was really good and so really it was amazing to see um Will from um is he Puritan and Company? I'm trying to remember. I think it's Puritan. Okay. He was he the one that was on like Top Chef or Chopped. He was on Chopped. Chopped. Yeah. Um anyways, he gave an amazing speech which was essentially like we, you know, as local business owners, we pull together for our community. And I think for me, that's really what it's all about. When you think about local businesses and local restaurants, they're in our community and they care. And they uh, just seeing that was like amazing. Yeah, I hope everyone who listens visits some of these restaurants, all of these restaurants and goes out to, goes out to East Cambridge. Yep. Um, okay. So what that else was happened on the weekend? Mm, I didn't do anything else. Yeah. I mean, not worky. Yeah, me either. Um, but we did have a meeting on Monday night. Yeah, we and, did. And it was a little slow. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was good because there wasn't a lot on the agenda. Not too much public comment. <laughs> Not too many tree talk. Trees, it, trees, 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 trees. It ended at nine. I know. Which rarely happens, very, listeners. Very, very rarely happens. Um, I actually, it's funny, I went back um, to watch one the meeting of the the last tree ordinance on the 28th. <laughs> public comment ended two hours into the meeting. Yeah. 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 So, um Leaving at nine o'clock was really unusual. So there was a few things on the agenda that we just wanted to chat quickly about. Um, one of the things that was on there was Sumble and myself and a couple of the other counselors had put in an order asking for some more information about an Eversource piece of property that was purchased last year. They purchased for almost $13 million. This kind of weird small piece of property on Fulkerson um, Street, right near the Kennedy Longfellow School in Ahern Field. Um, it's not clear uh, exactly what their plans are for this building, but they are planning to put a substation on, and we're not exactly sure how tall it will be, what it will look like, um, whether or not that actually is part of um, their long-term plan since they um, just purchased it last year. And so we kind of asked some questions uh, of Eversource. There's a, been a lot of neighborhood talk about whether or not this is an appropriate site for that type of thing. Being so close to an elementary school, um, being so close to one of the biggest open spaces in Cambridge. So I would also say that, you know, the city of Cambridge has goals of moving towards more distributive generation and renewable energy sources. So I wasn't even sure um, that having a larger substation is actually part of our overall city goals um, in renewables. So public public utility companies are um, may not be subject to municipal zoning regulations because of the need for public utilities. But as a city, we need to ensure that the proper health, safety, 
and environmental impact studies have been conducted um, by Eversource. So this order really asks that the city manager conferred with Eversource and other city departments to ensure that Eversource really takes the following analysis and impact reports uh, before moving forward with the construction of anything on that piece of property. So we really were looking for a financial disclosure and analysis of how the cost of paying $13 million for a small site in East Cambridge would potentially impact ratepayers. So they've already faced big increases this uh, winter, so we really want to know the financial impact. Also, the environmental impact study and how As I said, it affects the city's goals of moving towards more alternative energy sources. And a study of the health and safety impacts of locating a large substation uh, near to a residential neighborhood and elementary school. And I think most most of us, particularly in the neighborhood, want to know, what is it going to look like? What are we talking about? Is it four stories? Is it 20 stories? Uh, It's hard to really know because we don't have any information. And one of the things that Councillor Carlone said uh, at Monday night's meeting was they have this information. Yeah. To to purchase a piece of property, somebody would have had drawn up specifications. Otherwise, they wouldn't have done it. So we've asked for specifications and renderings that indicate the substation's footprint, height, and other critical design features. So I think this is kind of our first big step in saying to Eversource, like, you can't just come in here and do whatever you want. You're exactly. Gonna, you're gonna you're gonna face a neighborhood fight. You're gonna face some serious questions um, from this council about the appropriateness of this particular substation. And um, this is step one. Yeah, and we made it clear that night, especially the, to the the residents who came and whoever was watching that, you know, we will we're gonna do everything in our power to figure out how to <laughs> how to potentially stop this. Mm-hmm. I think none of us want that in our neighborhoods. I think it has to go somewhere, right? But can it be in a different location? And I think there are other locations that I think are much better suited than being next to a school, right? Yeah, and there was, thanks for everybody who came out and really talked to us about the history of that site. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things people talk about all the time is that that piece of property changed twice in one day, one at $6 million, Mm -hmm. and then later that day was sold to Eversource for $13 million. And that piece of property was originally permitted for 40 units of housing, which is a much more appropriate use for um, a neighborhood space. So I think there's a lot of questions. People have a lot of questions about what actually happened there. And And Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. And it goes back to... You know, I had this order in December about like who is buying things. Who is right? buying things? And if you look at the 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 who's who's been involved in this purchase, like there was like this random LLC which was like MWCP LLC who bought this land, and then it was transferred to another LLC, and then eventually it became known as Ever- Eversource. So, like you know, if if the you know they were really not transparent about it, I'd say I think they knew. It, they kept it secret as long as they could right. because of this reason. Mm-hmm. So and that's upsetting, and I think that's why it's going to, uh, you know, I think we need to have these studies and more information before we do anything. Yeah, so thank you for co-sponsoring that with me. Yeah, and thank again, you for bringing it. Yeah, and thanks to all the neighbors who came and brought it to our attention because it is a real concern. I know for a lot of Kennedy Longfellow right. parents and the neighbors and people play those fields, like, it's crazy. It should be housing. <laughs> it should be housing. Okay. So speaking of housing, uh, another thing that we co-sponsored was uh, to support a legislative bill uh, that's called an act promoting housing opportunity and mobility through eviction ceiling. So ceiling like S-E-A-L-I-N-G, not yeah, like the ceiling. Not the, the ceiling, okay. yeah. But, uh, you know, people are familiar with ceiling 
criminal records. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is a movement to protect tenants from unfair stigma and permanent eviction records. So right now, as soon as an eviction case is filed, a tenant has has an eviction record. So regardless of whether they did anything wrong, we're or were actually evicted, the mere fact that they were party to an eviction or housing case is being unfairly held against tenants when they try to rent a new place. We actually have a story of a woman who, she uh, she was rejected for from over two, uh, 100, uh, 100 apartments and was homeless for a year because of one eviction case that her landlord had filed because he wanted to sell the building. Here she did nothing it's a wrong. Heartbreak. It it it's crazy. She moved out and her case was dismissed, but still it came back. So she was homeless. Yeah, she was homeless. And this, you know, there's since 1998 over one million eviction cases have been filed, and so this is actually really affects people's ability to obtain housing, credit, and employment. Uh, so you know, these a lot some of these cases are decades old, and the in- information is obsolete, So, mm-hmm. but it's still on people's records. And since uh, 2013, the Massachusetts trial court began putting eviction record information online. So I think the trial court's intent was to provide parties with remote access to manager cases, but the unintended consequence is that the information is now being used as a free and unregulated tenant screening process. Mm. So, you know, all that to say, even winning in court can hurt tenants. So. You know, I think this bill really gets to the point that eviction records should only be online, um, publicly available or reported by a tenant screening company when a landlord wins on the merits uh, or a tenant breaks an agreement and is evicted by a constable. So if an eviction case is not the fault of the tenant is dismissed or ends with a tenant satisfying an agreement, those records should not be mm-hmm. public. And we know from the data that mostly women and women of color right. are being affected by by this policy. So this this uh, this bill has support in the House and the Senate and would go a long way, good go a long way to protecting tenants. Yeah, one of our senators is actually the lead sponsor, yeah. right? Joe Bunkori. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and other states have have been successful uh, like California and Washington state to seal uh, eviction records. So I'm really excited to be just in that movement and mm-hmm. as I'm doing tenant displacement work and tenant ad- advocacy work, like this is something that if we can do in Massachusetts would have a huge impact. Yeah, and I noticed that um, Lydia Edwards, the Boston City Councilor, is also leading, kind of leading the charge on yeah. this too, something. She's really been um, out there about tenant protections yeah. and housing. I've been really excited watching her. She's um, a mentor, like she's just so. She she's was, just really focused. She's like, let's just get it done. She cre- She was heading up the Boston Housing Stability Office before she. Oh, that's right. Yeah, ran okay, for okay. office, okay. And so, <laughs> which we should have in Cambridge, but uh, that's another that's um, another story a for story you guys. for another day. But but anyway, we'll keep you posted. I would love to uh, see this go through, and um, hopefully it'll. Oh, we should have her on. Oh my gosh! Yeah, we should totally. We should do. That. I can. I can text her. I was gonna say, you guys are <laughs> we're mer- kind of friends, friends. sisters. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was Monday. There was a few other things, uh, but it was a pretty quiet night. Pretty quiet night. Yeah, and then, wow, it's Wednesday, but it feels like it feels what like twenty twenty. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh! I saw a tweet this morning that was like, "The last two days have been the longest two weeks of my life." <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, yeah, man, that's it." <laughs> totally know how you feel. Uh, what else? So tomorrow night, you oh, yeah. 
there's another Cambridge Digs Deep. Yes, I there was just is. so I was at um, the Lori Lander. How was that breakfast this morning? Good. We were talking about the arts task force. A lot of of women there excited to talk about the arts here in Cambridge, and um, they were asking about the Cambridge Digs Deep and what the subject matter was going to be, and I was telling them so. Tomorrow, oh, great. Tomorrow Thank night. you for plugging mm-hmm. in. So tomorrow night, we're, we're going to be hearing from the city, uh, the city departments, uh, the police and the schools about actual tangible policies that the that these departments are working on and that and sh- they're going to share data about diversity and, and, and so forth. So it, it should be a good discussion. I'm slowly getting the presentations from others. I know with the Cambridge Police Department, they're going to be talking about their new the new cadet program. They're mm-hmm. going to be talking about the Office of Procedural Justice that they have. Rapo. Re- yep. Renowned, renowned. Um, uh, maybe renowned's not the right word, but um, it's like, well, first of its kind. Uh, oh, the, in, da- the dashboard. Uh, yeah, the, the, and so forth. So <clears throat> it's it's going to be, you know, we after the first uh session a lot of people are like well what's cambridge doing about mm, this great question. what are we doing about systematic racism mm-hmm. right because it, it, it permeates our society in different ways and it plays out in jobs it plays out in the way we govern yeah who's at the top who of gets the, the money right who's at the top mm-hmm. of the who has the management positions right. right so we have to kind of we have to talk about it and we have to have a roadmap of where we're going and so we'll be hearing uh, about that so that starts at 5 30 the food will be pizza 5 30 to 6 and then 6 to 8 is when uh, there'll be presentations and a Q&A at the end um well i'm that sounds really exciting and i think we saw the presentation part of the presentation yeah. last week. So um, I'm excited that the city, you know, the, the residents of Cambridge don't always get to see what we see. So right. it's a great opportunity. It's going to be at City Hall, 5.30 to 7.30, tomorrow night, Thursday. Um, I am going to miss it. How dare you? I know it's like my first Cambridge Digs Deep that I'm going to miss because I'm chairing this month's Arts Task Force. So it's our fifth meeting tomorrow night at the Multicultural Arts Center from 5.30 to 7.30, same time. And we're having it at the Multicultural Arts Center so that the task force members can attend the 7.30 performance of Who is Eartha May? which is a one-woman theatrical performance about Eartha Kitt, put on by Olivia D'Ambrosio from Bridge Rep Theatre and one of our Arts Task Force members. So Who is Eartha May is playing until February 23rd, so get your tickets online. I have talked to a bunch of people who have seen it, and they said it was really good. And I met the woman, Jade, who is the... um, the one woman in the show (laughs) and she's amazing she's electric like she really uh, i can tell it's going to be an incredible show so i'm excited to see that um but tomorrow night we're going to be talking about uh artist housing and artist studio space so our community development department is presenting zoning um and ways that a municipal policy can help shape um the you know the the building blocks of making sure that um artist housing and studio spaces can be built. Um, and one of our task force members, this is really exciting, was the director of an organization called ArtSpace that was an artist collective for affordable studio space in Boston. And he's had a long experience with the state working on building disposition. So in, in the 80s, a bunch of um, school buildings actually uh, closed. So municipalities had to figure out what to do with them. And a lot of them were repurposed after the state closed them um, as artist spaces. So he has a, a a really broad history in trying to figure out how to incorporate artist spaces into buildings that exist. You know, so here in Cambridge, we do have a, a couple of municipal buildings that don't have anything in them. Yeah. 
Um, and so that goes back to our, our policy order of, of last year of trying to figure out where are all those spaces in Cambridge, um, because it could be a really interesting proposition to have the city try to figure out um, how to have an artist collective. So that's a really exciting conversation. In fact, the presenter um, and I have been kind of chatting all day. We had a miscommunication. He wanted to do a slide presentation, and I was like, "Can you, can, can you send me the thumb? You know, either the file, or you're going to be bringing a thumb drive." And he was like, "No, I have. I need a slide projector, like actual <laughs> yeah. slides." And I was like, "Oh man, this is going to be cool! Like awesome. old school. Like it's going to be fun. It's going to be in the Multicultural Arts Center, and then we're all going to go to the performance after. I just think it's going to be a great. That's a evening. great activity. And I have to tell you." This funny story from this morning. I was talking to you know all these women at Lori Lander's house um, about the arts task force, and somebody was asking me where tomorrow night's meeting was, and I said, you know, we're not having any of our, our meetings at City Hall. Um, you know, for one reason, a lot of the arts task, some of the arts task force members just didn't feel like it was a place for them. You know, a mm. lot of people in the community don't feel like a place like that is necessarily for them. It's intimidating, or it's not a place that they would yeah. go. And I said, you know, and they, you know. People didn't feel like it's a place to have, you know, honest, um, what did I say? Like honest and trusting conversations. <laughs> and everyone just started laughing because I was like, and I was like, oh, I didn't mean that like we just don't have yeah, like honest conversations. In City Hall. In City Hall. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God. We definitely don't. So I was like, oh, Alana, just Thanks, keep Alana. her mouth. Just keep her mouth shut. <laughs> anyways, it was very funny. My put my foot right into my mouth. So anyways, join us tomorrow night, Thursday, February 7th at 530 at the Multicultural Arts Center for that conversation. Um, and I just want to say, I again, I'm sad to be missing this Cambridge Digs Deep. They've been so interesting and thought-provoking. Like, I'm still thinking about the one that was a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. and some of the things that she said. Um, but, you know, as I said, we I, I got to see most of the presentation. But the one part I'll miss that they didn't present at our Civic Unity Committee was the new Cambridge Police Department cadet program, which I've been helping um, the police department to implement over the last year. So the, the cadet program is a way for the police department to actually diversify its workforce. So if you look at our police department, you know, only 10% of our police department is women, and there's a smaller, you know, small percentage of uh, people of color. And a lot of times, it's not Cambridge residents that are being hired um, because of the way that civil civil service works. So, um, the the Get Up program is starting up. They're recruiting now. I've been seeing actually, yeah. they've been doing a great job marketing. So it's uh, going to be a great tool to, for recruiting women and minorities. And just ensuring that our police force looks more representative of our, of our community. So if you are interested in joining the police department or the cadet program, or if you know someone that is, um, you can log on to cambridgepolice.org slash join CPD, or this is really fancy. You can access that site by texting the message join CPD to 72345. That's, that's, that's fancy. It. Wow. Are you just that's texting? That's pretty legit. Not, right? I'm text right now. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's... Um, that's we'll my- hear about that tomorrow too. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. Totally. So, uh, what else is going on? Oh, this Saturday we have the NAACP breakfast, the annual breakfast. Um, It's going to be from eleven to two at St. Paul's AME on Bishop Allen Drive. Buy my ticket. I already bought my ticket. You know, it's so funny because you texted me. You're like, "Did you buy your ticket?" And then I, I then I was like, "No, I didn't." And I bought my ticket. And then now it's like four days later. I just haven't bought my ticket. Yeah. Well, Ayanna Presley will be there. She's giving the keynote speak. Uh, speak speech so that's exciting and um, it's actually always a really uplifting 
event. Last year, the guy from um, Bill de Blasio's office came and talked to us about early childhood education. Yeah, pre-K. Yeah, or so pre-K. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a great event. It's $75. It's definitely well worth it. It's a great organization, um, especially during Black Tech. Black History, History Month. Month. So important. My cousin's in town, but um, I'm going to try to You're going to drag her with you. I'm not going to drag her with me. I told her to hang out with my mom. <laughs> uh, but I will. I want to come by for at least. It's from 11 to 2. Well, you get two you, meals. You get, it's a lot of food. It's a lot of food. I didn't know that last time, so I totally pegged out on the first go around. And then they were like, oh, you can eat again. And then the food was like delicious. Like actual food. It's yeah. really good. It was on my birthday last year. Oh, it was? Remember? Oh, so no, I don't clearly remember. don't. Uh, what else? So we have also have a sock drive happening. Uh-huh. Yesterday. We are winning, by the way. Oh, we're totally winning. Yeah. yeah. Yesterday, we both, so we did the real work. We were counting those socks. We were counting the socks. Yeah. You like, and me. Me and you. Uh, we were in our, in City We were Hall. like d- dumpster <laughs> diving into the recycle bin trying to get every last pair I of socks. I crawled in. <laughs> she did. Crawled in, I was like, oh, there's one more pair. Yeah, so we actually got a really great donation yesterday by um, Violet Gluten-Free Bakery on Mass Ave. They donated $500 worth of wool socks. So um, that combined with all the Amazon purchases that have been coming in and the other like people individually dropping them off, we, uh, we're we at about 350 pairs of socks right now. So we're getting, we're about a third of a way to, to the goal. We're getting there. Yeah. And we have more coming, right? Yeah, we definitely have more coming. Yeah, there's a lot of companies that are still uh, who've reached out, and um, we're, we're definitely going to beat the police, like just like last year. Just like last year, I, I sent um, the commissioner a video of our full bin. I was like, "How's your bin looking?" <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, just to let people know, those socks are already at shelter. Oh yeah, like Sumble and I counted those socks, made sure we were keeping track. They got picked up today, and they will be distributed tonight. These aren't going to sit around. They are going out into the into immediately the in tonight. use. Yeah, immediately in use. So, if you feel like donating, if you would like to do that, we um, Hilton's Tent City here in Central Square is offering a twenty percent discount on wool socks. There's an Amazon Amazon wish list if you want to just send them directly to City Hall um, or the Police Department. City but Hall. don't go there. Yeah, don't, don't go there. Go there. <laughs> it's on Eighth Street. <laughs> In North Cambridge. Yeah. <laughs> We're the worst. I know. <laughs> it's on 6th Street, okay? You okay, can't miss it. You can go. Yeah. Um, so anyways, that's going on until Valentine's Day. The Warm Hearts for Warm Feet Sock Drive. Um, I love this time of year. It is. It's a great February. Like that's the only thing going on on my Twitter right now. Yeah. It's just like socks and videos of socks. I literally just retweet retweet everything. <laughs> I hate Twitter. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to just. But yeah, that's all I have going on. Like yeah, just socks, socks and like. More socks. Like Valentine's Day. And yeah. And you're like, it's my birthday. It's my birthday. Yeah. Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, what are you doing this weekend? Besides the NAACP. Yeah. Mm, breakfast. Mm. I told you, my, I have my my new plan is to have to go out with friends. I oh, have plans on great. Friday and Saturday night. Oh wow, someone's popular. Well, you know, I'm making up for last time. <laughs> you have to. Friends, are, friendship is so important. It is. It's it's actually giving me life right now. Totally. Which is really, I, I needed a little life. You know what? We didn't even talk about the two ordinance meetings we had this week. <laughs> oh my god. I guess we blocked it out. Did I did. Get, yeah, we it had, was just yesterday. We had two ordinance meetings from one to three, and then three to five. Mm-hmm. One was on stormwater management and and triple pe- deckers, and yeah, and a petition for uh, you know revising flat flat roofs. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
that went nowhere. It was like the third, second time, third to second time we're seeing it, seeing it before us. We don't have to get third. into it. Third, yeah, yeah. Third time. And then we talked about accessory dwelling units. Yep, I learned a lot about accessory dwelling units. Same, mm-hmm. same. And the fact that this rule, this law was put into place in 2015. 16? 15? 15. I think it's 15, yeah. yeah. 15. And since then, there's been five. Five built. Mm-hmm. Five um, applications for accessory I need, dwelling I think units. I I got a little grumpy at the yeah. end of the meeting. Did you notice? <laughs> and I was like, is there a real appetite for this? Right. Like, are, are people like knocking down our doors to like create zoning for accessory dwelling units? I mean, I would, re- I really think they could be a tool to create more units of housing, but it just felt overly complicated. Yeah. And where's, I also was like, I don't think people know you know, know uh, what they are and what they can be and what the rules are necessarily. I think mm. I don't, I, I've gotten a few emails. Oh, we have accessory dwelling units. Uh, so I do wonder if since 2015, what kind of. Yeah. Like, is there need to be a communication right. out or something? Well, one of the things we talked about yesterday um, was that other municipalities like Los Angeles right. are actually using that zoning and municipal funds to incentivize people to build accessory dwelling units in their yards for like in LA it's for homeless homeless, homeless residents or homeless individuals and they have to for three years so the city of Los Angeles will give you ten to thirty thousand dollars to create an accessory dwelling unit as long as for three years you rent it out um, to a homeless resident who would then be on section eight um and I think, wow, that's that's really innovative. That's really interesting if you think about it in that way and creating homeless housing um, in a way for, you know, homeowners to actually generate revenue. Yeah. So I, so we asked for a, a memo from our CDD to look at some of the legal issues, you know, any uh, legal opinion about how we could potentially um, incentivize, incentivize people to, to uh, provide additional housing units i mean i think there were some counselors who were like we should just we in the zoning we should just make these affordable like we should make them you can't build one unless they are affordable and i don't think that's the way to go i think it it has to come with some kind of monetary incentivization um a more i said i think i said yesterday i'm more of a carrot right counselor than a stick counselor Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but i do think it's an interesting way to look at creating additional units um without you know creating big uh apartment buildings or yeah and i think the intent was to make sure i think it was let's get a thousand units right these would create a thousand units if if we actually built them so that hasn't happened so i think the policy we have to make it stronger at least and then also think about ways to make it easier so we're getting there uh there's probably be if you have thoughts about it accessory dwelling units please let us know yeah and we'll we'll send you the information i think other you know seattle's looking into it portland's Mm -hmm. been using it and looking into it so it isn't something new but i think it's something we uh we have to do further work on yeah and i think if you look at the west coast they are doing a lot of really innovative housing stuff because they have to Right, like they are in actually, they they are years ahead of us. We're mm-hmm. in this housing crisis, and so I think I always say like we need to be looking to them so we don't get there. Exactly. 
exactly. So yeah, those are, oh, and then uh, do we have time for our school committee re- recap? Sure. Uh, so we had a school committee meeting last night that I attended and you were watching. And I was watching we were texting each other. Mm-hmm. It was very intense. Very um, in- it was even intense on TV. I can't imagine being there. There was an incident that happened where um, there's a panel that uh, discussion on January 10th. Mm-hmm. And um, there it was from the discussion was um, uh, from Dr. from Kevin Dua, who in his class, uh, he's the he leads up what he's the faculty advisor for the black student union correct and he also teaches history he also teaches history so on the panel was an elected official emily dexter and she used the n-word uh to she wasn't using it in the derogatory sense that it's often used she was using it in a sense to explain something with that said i think many of us felt that it shouldn't be used at all uh and so there was a motion that um, school school committee member Minika Bowman put forward to investigate exactly what happened mm-hmm. uh, because when an elected official and we have to think about this for ourselves, Exa- yeah, when an elected official does something, says something, there's, we there's no rules because the voters are our bosses, right? We don't have a boss. Yeah, we don't have a boss, and so, so they, we can't get sent to HR. Like, right? There's nothing we can't get rid of. There's up. no rules, right? So, to to examine uh, what are what are some of the policies and procedures in place, and I think um, b- there was a mention of having a third party kind of helping yeah. uh, the school committee do that. That's something that probably should happen on our city council level as well. Uh, So the discussion was, you know, mostly the school committee members did support the motion. Uh, I think there was a a back and forth about how the word was being used. Um, I don't know. It was was a lot of, it was intense. It was was really great to hear from the students who were affected. And that's the whole point. I think they were affected by the use of the word. Yeah, mm. and I have to say, it was very powerful to see students come before adults who are supposed to be caring for them right. and and really saying that they were hurt. Because I can't imagine doing that mm-hmm. as a student, as a 17-year-old or as an 18-year-old. I mean, these are people, like, not just your mom's friends. Like, right. These are elected officials. These are people that, like are in control of your your student outcomes and your your school climate and I I really shout out to them for for really braving that and really making a poignant point yeah. because I think that many of the school committee members actually thanked them in their comments mm-hmm. um, because it was it was critical to have them there and talking about it and I think that Ms. Dexter w- apologized yeah and said um, you know she didn't realize until last night just how much hurt she had caused. Yeah. So um, I I wrote a statement, um, a pretty long statement, because this has really been bothering me since January, mm-hmm. um, because I, as a as a white person, I there's not an, ever an, uh, there's never an occasion where I would use that word. Right. Never. And there's not a context, there's not, there just isn't. And in fact, you know, I was, I think I was telling you, my daughter was reading aloud uh, out of a book and she said oh I can't say this word it was um, a book about the Little Rock Nine uh, for um, Black History Month and I said oh well I thought she just didn't, couldn't pronounce it and she pointed to it and I was like she's like we never say this word I was like yes I mean I think this is something that unequi- it's an unequivocal mm-hmm. fact 
Um, and to have our students, many of them in the Black Student Union, who have, you know, over the last year been producing videos about microaggressions in yeah. the high school um, that have involved teachers, educators, administrators, to have an elected member of the school committee come in and use that word, I, I think if if Manika hadn't put that order in, I think it would undermine wh- what we're doing. Yeah, it's and is what? It's February 6th, right? Yeah. And it's like 27 days later. Tw- yeah, it, that's wrong. It's it's uh, it, we shouldn't have waited that long to talk about it and well, there have been other things too, like in the city where I you know, in my statement I kind of referenced there we have a response to right. these types of things. So last April there was a Harvard law student who was arrested on Mass Ave and it was an undergrad. Oh, he, yeah. He was an undergrad? It was an undergrad. Oh. Yeah. Uh, now I've screwed everything no, up. No, no, it's okay. But anyways, um, you know, many people in the community, including myself, felt like there was an excessive use of force in that arrest. And so immediately after that, there were steps that were taken by the Cambridge police. And one of them was a full outside investigation by Judge Ireland, who is in the process of putting together his independent review. And that when that comes forward, it will be public. Yeah. Even after the BSU video at the high school, um, when that came out, there was an immediate response by the high school so that everybody in the homerooms actually was able to talk about it. So I, I do feel like in Cambridge, especially when we're talking about this, as a city, we're talking about race and equity, partially because last summer there was um, a, a woman who was in a viral video saying to an African-American woman, are you in one of the affordable units? So as a community, we're having a, a like a community-wide, city-wide discussion on race and equity. And I think to not address that particular issue while we're having this, while the Cambridge Police is doing this work, I, I think it would be unfair. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think it would undermine the process that we are going through as a community. I mean, I feel like I go to these Cambridge Digs Deep and I'm doing all this work and all these people are with us doing all this work. And we we need to be introspective um, at the elected level, level too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was I, a difficult conversation, but I, it, it, had, was, it needed to happen. It needed and, to happen. And I do think that there's going to be some follow-up. Um, certainly. I think the Globe was there last night. There, it the was, Chronicle yeah. The Chronicle was there last night. So it'll be interesting to see how this kind of and it, plays it'll out. It'll come up tomorrow at the Dig Zeep conversation, I'm sure. And I think uh, it's good that it'll come up, I think, if we How could you kinda, not talk about it? Right, right. And I think people are like, oh, you know, we can't just put it under a rug. And, you know, we, we have to come and talk about it. Like I said, if we are examining race and equity in all these other areas right. and we sp- sweep that under the rug, then I think we're doing a disservice to all of the work that we're doing. Exactly. So, yeah, I whew, shout out to to Ms. Bowman for yeah, she's she was she was a force last night. She was she yeah. was. Okay, well that's our show. That is our show. Um, we like it. Please join us this. Saturday at the NAACP breakfast mm-hmm. to see Ayanna Presley. Um, and we will be back next week. If you have topics you want to talk about, please tweet at us. I'm at A-M-M-A-L-L-O-N. And I'm at Sumblesid, S-U-M-B-U-L-S-I-D-D. And if you like this podcast, please let your friends know. Tell them um, why you like it. We'd love to reach more people and be bringing them the updates yes. of what's going on here in Cambridge. I think um, lots of times I'm talking to people and they're like, I didn't even know that was happening. And, you know, we just try to keep it light, newsy. Yeah. Not always light. Breezy, sometimes light. <laughs> we talk about Gianni Versace <laughs> and race. Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, just let your friends know. Tell them what we're doing. Yeah. And thank you for listening. We appreciate you tuning in every week and listening to us. Uh, we'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.